you could begin making your way back towards your seats, that would be wonderful. I'd like to note that Dave's already started the morning by messing with my table, and I had it at like a pre-set height, so that way I could lift it up a little bit, but every time I'm preaching, he comes up here, he has to raise it all the way up to his massive six-foot-one frame, and really emphasizes the fact that I am three to four inches shorter than him. So I just I want to start by thanking you for that, Dave. Um, quick note um, for you who are guests, if you're, if you're just noticing this, last week Dave talked about our booklets. They do have questions that could be used for the small group, but they're more set up as a meditation for everyone in the body. Each week we have certain passages that, um, that me and Dave helped a little bit. When we were doing our massive psalm selection, it was like an NFL draft, but with the psalms as we are working through this, as we are working through the series. But each day, there's six readings for the week, and they just give us an opportunity to study more deeply the things that we'll be talking about in the psalm that week. So if you haven't picked up one of these, and you're kind of like struggling in your Bible study this summer, I would encourage you, pick this up. And then you'll be studying the Psalms alongside other people within the body. And it'll be, it'll be really great and really positive for you. As you know, we will have a whiteboard. There will be some writing today. And it hopefully will be enjoyable for you. I'll try not to draw too many terrible pictures because my handwriting isn't great when at large sizes. Jordan Pollard can attest to my inability to draw arrows with all the pressure. But, so as Dave said, today we are talking about a lament. We are starting our sermon today by talking about Psalm 13. And laments, as Dave said, they're so important for the people of God. And we'll get into why they're important. But I just want to start by saying that I think laments are a lost culture that we need to reclaim. They are, they are an aspect that the ideas of sadness have just been the ideas of sadness and mourning, our culture as a country is afraid of it. And as churches in this area, it seems like we neglect lamentation. We neglect laments. We don't feel safe doing it. And so I hope this, is a, I hope this sermon encourages you and blesses you with the, the ability to feel comfortable lamenting when you need to. But in preparation for this sermon, one of the things that I felt what was very important was to watch one of the, the pivotal movies that came out recently on the idea of lamenting. And for you, if you're wondering, like, oh, what is this excellent movie? It's actually Inside Out. It was a Pixar movie that came out a year or two ago. And it's a great movie. If you ever are trying to figure out what you need, to, like, what's a good movie for me to watch right now, Pixar movies are pretty much good to go. You can, you can find great things in Pixar movies. And Inside Out is a very interesting movie. It's a movie in which the, the um, people of Pixar, the writers, have this idea. What if we took the emotions of a person, namely in this story of an 11-year-old girl, what if we took the emotions of this girl and made them into characters? And so in the movie, there were five major characters Anger, disgust, fear, joy, and sadness that were helping this little girl cope with life. They, they helped this girl. Her name was Riley. And their job was to, with decisions and all the things that would happen in life, they would give her 
guidance through a little control panel, much like this pedestal, on what to do next, whether to react in anger, to act disgusted, to be full of joy, or to embrace sadness. And in this group of emotions, the dominant character was a lovely character named Joy. And Joy was, as you can expect, full of joy, a happy character, and enjoyed enjoyed fun, enjoyed laughing, and enjoyed when Riley was just happy and perfect. And her obsession with joy, with herself, and with the happiness of Riley was the dominant theme of the movie. Because what ends up happening is she does not understand why there could be an emotion like sadness in Riley's life. Sadness isn't something that this little girl could use. Sadness is a terrible thing. And so throughout the movie, the character Joy is fighting against the depressing character Sadness and trying everything she can to keep her from harming, damaging, or causing any sort of trouble to the little girl, Riley. Now this story, like all Pixar movies, has, has deep meaning. It's not just a superficial, quick cartoon. They usually have really great meaning, which is why it's fantastic for adults. And it's specifically an allegory, a story, of what happens when children and adults seek happiness and refuse and ignore other complex emotions like sadness. When they say, you know what, I am only going to be happy in this life. And then when something troubling, when a a disaster strikes, when they go through a hardship, they say, I can't be sad, I need to be happy. And that's where we are. It's kind of a culture, that's where we see, I see a lot of kids go through that when their parents won't let their children just be sad about things, won't let them struggle and Inside Out would say, you know, that's not, that's not the right path. And thank, thankfully, so does today's psalm. It's a lament, and it's telling us that it's good to mourn. It's good to be sad. And there is a constructive way for us as believers to call upon the Lord from, the destitute, from destitute places in our heart and be thankful for, for God and for his grace. And I just want us to consider and remember that this is a psalm of worship. This is David worshiping. So as we work through the psalm today, rejoice that the Lord, when he has given us life and he's given us these means for worship, rejoice that he doesn't call us to be constantly gleefully happy, that he doesn't call us to work through suffering like a rock unscathed, and just rejoice that he has graced us with the word of God, with the scriptures that show us the right responses to pain, suffering, sin, and the depths of despair that honest, faithful cries can give vent to. So let's start by reading Psalm 13. Before we go into it, let's just just call upon the Lord right now. O Lord our God, we just ask that as today, as we study your word, as we look to your scriptures and as we call upon you with David, the author of Psalm 13, that you would hear our cries, that you would give clarity and wisdom to the words of the sermon and that you would help us 
to look at our despair, our sorrow, our sadness, and that we would utilize the gift of laments to receive grace and favor when we, in our, when we are in our deepest need. We love you and we just give praise to you for all of your grace, O oh Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Our today is Psalm 13. And Psalm 13 can be divided into three parts. And it begins with three very specific cries. David says, How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long? Will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Four times. Four times David cries out, How long? Long. Now, this doesn't always communicate very effectively in the English, but this is, in, in Hebrew poetry, repeating phrases like that meant emphasis. It was like, great, greater, greatest. When they would do it in triplicate three times, it was a big deal. David repeats how long four times because he is at his lowest. And so when we read, how long, how long, how long, how long, this is like the terrified screams of a toddler that does not know what has happened to his or her mother. These are passionate cries out to the only one that David knows can rescue him. And so things were bad. They were bad for David. Think of it. It's David, the warrior king, someone who was chasing after the heart of God. Here he is crying to him. And not only is he crying powerfully, but he's crying specifically. Each time he says something specific. And they are terrible. And you read these cries and you think of terrible occurrences in your life. These are things that you do not want to describe your prayer life as. You don't want to go into your prayer life and think, Lord, have you forgotten me? Are are you forgetting me? Is that what is happening into my life? You don't want to have describe your life. Are you hiding from me? I don't see you anywhere. You must not be here. You really don't want to say, I'm the only one to talk to. When he says counsel, I must take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day. No one's here to talk to me. No one's giving me guidance. You're not. What am, I, what am I supposed to do? And then lastly, he cries out, they've won. They have won. You are gone and my enemies have won. So David's cries are specific. And they are terrible because he, he is at his wit's end. Now the question becomes, where is this coming from? What is happening? Now, the psalm is prefaced with that, with the fact that David is the one crying out. But as we read it, we'll notice there's little themes that happen. 
And so there's, there's a story, there seems to be a great enemy that he's having difficulty with. He's having horrible things happen in his life. And so sometimes when you read a psalm, you just want to, it's good to know, like, what is the context? What is really happening? And so it's important to know that David had two major enemies. His major enemies were Saul, even though we know the story of David and Goliath. That wasn't really a major enemy. That was just a big occurrence. His two major enemies were Saul and Absalom. Now, Saul, the story of Saul and David occurs in the beginning of his life. Saul was king, and David was anointed by Samuel to take his place because Saul was not following after God the way God desired the king of Israel too. Saul was becoming a king like the nations. And so David is anointed king, and then Saul just, destroy, just decides that he has to destroy him. He has to kill him. He doesn't choose the Lord and seek to humbly turn his kingdom over to David in time. He chooses murder and vengeance and hatred. And in the midst of that storyline, we see David running, we see him crying out, we see him fearful, we see him troubled. But what we don't see is him sin. David is righteous in his war against Saul. In the midst of everything Saul was doing, David refused to fight back. Saul camped around David at one point, ready to strike him dead. And David was given the opportunity to bring vengeance upon Saul, who had hunted him, who had driven him out of his, out of his home, who had separated from his, him from his wife and children. David was given the opportunity to take vengeance, and he said, no, I will not strike the Lord's anointed. God chose Saul as king, and until God takes Saul away, Saul will live. And David again and again and again chose righteousness over vengeance. So this psalm doesn't really fit that timeline. The one it fits is the battle with Absalom. You see, Absalom was David's son. And David was fighting against his son. You're like, wow, how did, how did that happen? Well, it happened in a very tragic way. If you know the story of David, you, or of David, you know that after things got really good, he decided one day to take a woman from his people and commit adultery with her. And you've heard that in the midst of committing adultery, she ended up pregnant. And when she ended up pregnant, David was like, well, what do I do? I have a woman who's married that now is carrying my child. How can I deal with this? I know. I'll trick my loyal servant who is a member of my army, Uriah, which was Bathsheba's husband. I'll trick him into sleeping with his wife. So that way he'll think the child is his. And David goes down this path over and over, committing sin after sin after sin. Starts with adultery, then becomes, then becomes lying. And then he decides, well, because Uriah was so faithful, he refused to leave the army and not obey his king. He decides, I'm not going to go sleep with my wife. None of the other soldiers can. And so David has Uriah killed. Oh, he's not going to listen to me. I guess I'll just have him murdered. And then in the midst of his continued pride and sin, 
It takes a prophet coming to David to get him to repent, to get him to turn from his sin. And then, as David repents, he is forgiven of his sins, but the effects of his sins run rampant in his family. One of his sons decides to sexually assault one of his daughters, leaving her a barren woman, a woman that hates everyone. And it's a terrible story, a terrible story. And it's so sad that it happens there, but it's such a real, it's a mirror on society. And then after that, Absalom, hating his brother who had destroyed his sister, kills, murders his brother, takes vengeance for his sister against his brother Amnon. And so then Absalom becomes this murderer, even though he was doing what he felt was right. It was not in accordance with the law. Because David had already refused to punish Amnon correctly. And then after that, so now you have one son who's a murderer, who's just, com- who's just killed another son. David spares Absalom and says, you know what? I don't want to kill him. There's been enough death. Just going to send him away. And that decision takes David's family and his kingdom and breaks it more and more and more. Until finally Absalom decides, I should be king. And ends up driving David out of the kingdom and taking it from him. And so the assumption is that David has been driven out of his kingdom. He's looking towards his family and seeing brokenness and despair. He's looking towards his children and seeing suffering and decay. He's looking towards his loyal servants. Members of his army had chosen his son over him. And David is broken. He's done. And so he's looking to the Lord and saying, you've forgotten me. You're hidden from me. I don't have anybody. And my enemy is exalted over me. And so here he is, broken and destitute. And so he takes the next step in verse 3 and 4. And he says to the Lord, out of this, out of his how longs, he says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes. Give me hope again, Lord. Give me hope. Light up my eyes. He says three more things because if he doesn't, this is what will happen. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Because that's what was happening. Absalom was winning. Absalom had everything in his grasp. And the only reason David was restored was because the Lord was on his side and because Absalom was an idiot. Like he essentially bankrupted himself and ended his own kingdom. But everything was set in place for Absalom to completely destroy anything that David had done and ruin his legacy. But the Lord was on David's side. And so he rightfully calls out to him and says, give me hope. Because I'll have nothing else. And then David finishes the psalm with the most important element of lament. This is, if you don't have this, you don't have a lament. I I just want to make that clear. 
laments are so different than the things we sing nowadays. Last week, Dave brought up the aspect that the, the comments I made about the Psalms being our summer playlist, our greatest hits. And it got me thinking about bands I used to listen to a lot. I used to make playlists all the time. And I had these playlists that were pretty, pretty depressing. They were kind of my blues slash emo slash punk rock playlist. And those playlists, they sometimes would, in, would include certain genres of country. Those playlists were pretty depressing. But they were great music at time, and I enjoyed them. And they're, they're, these, they're these types of song, they're these genres that they just, they cry out over wrongdoing, or they cry out over pain in life, or they have like a Taylor Swift type feel. Yes, I listen to Taylor Swift occasionally. I am married, so I have an excuse. I did before I was married. But I, they cry out over something terrible that has happened in their life. But they do so without hope. They have these cries, these tears, these these longings for change. But there's no expectation. The expectation is it's going to be the same or, oh man, could the next girl just be a little bit different? But there's really no solid ground to stand on. And so it's not surprising that the music industry thrives off that because we're made for it. We're made for these types of cries. We'll talk about that later, but laments are different than them. You're made to cry out, but laments are different because of the third aspect, and that's hope. Hope. Laments are written with God in mind. This is what David says in 5 through 6. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So I want to note that. He starts off with trust. I have trusted in your steadfast love. David is saying something very clear about who he was and what he believes. He believes in God and God is loving and that is a reality. Not something that's going to change, not something that has changed because he is going through sorrow, but something that is very real and solid. And that word steadfast, oh, it just sounds like one of those giant boulders that you can see standing in one place for year after year after year after year. And you say, nothing will move that rock. It's going to be there forever. Seemingly. So the first thing he speaks of is trust. I have trusted in your steadfast love. But then he goes on. He plans for rejoicing and singing. So not only is he looking at what is true of himself, but he looks what is true in the future. He knows that he will praise again. That this is not the end. No matter the destitute nature of his situation, there is going to be more. There is hope in something coming because he knows who God is. So he hopes. And then finally, he confesses a lasting truth, a steadfast truth. I will sing to the Lord, he's singing, because he has dealt bountifully with me. There's something interesting about that. It's the has. Because he has dealt bountifully 
with me. That's a past tense. In the past, God has dealt bountifully with David, and so he knows he can have expectation that God will do greater works. And that is the beauty of laments. They confront the suffering, the sorrow, the sadness of our present situations with the truth of the past, what God has done, and the hope of the future, what God has promised and what he will do. So when we look at laments, we look at something that is confronting the suffering of the present with the truth of the past and the hope of the future. If you are not, if you're not doing all three of those, you're not lamenting. Which takes us to our question, what are laments? Well, as David, as Dave said, David, as Dave said, Pastor Dave, when he was speaking, more than a third of the Psalms are laments. If you're reading the Psalms, you're encountering them. There's about 42 individual laments where people are just sitting there on their knees crying out themselves, confronting the darkness in their heart. And there are 16 corporate laments where the people are speaking on behalf of the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah and saying, God, why is our country so messed up? We're going to be doing a corporate lament later in the series, and I have a feeling that we're going to be saying, Lord, why these candidates? Come on! And so these laments were both very important individually because we go through individual suffering and corporate because as a nation, we encounter, and specifically Israel, encountered all kinds of sin. And when the Bible says that they encountered sin, it should be no surprise that we as America, that might have been brought up in traditions of faith, encounter sin because we're not Israel. We're different. We're the church within a nation. So there are a lot of laments. And if you read the Psalms, you will find them. And we can define laments through something that I thought was important because I was, I was thinking this week, or I was thinking the other day, about ways to help you understand what laments are. This is kind of floppy. And I had this equation in my mind, and it was that math equals sadness. Like, when people think about math, they usually lament. Like, oh, I got to do another calculus assignments or trigonometry or algebra. Frankly, I love math. But there's a lot of people that hate math. So I said, you know what? Let's use an equation to define lament. So we're going to start right here. I apologize for handwriting. Hopefully you can read this. Lament. So we have our variable L. We are trying to define what laments are. And we're going to have three things that are involved in laments. And the first one, we're going to use some quotes, because I love quotes, I love books. So we're going to look to some authors, one I know of, one I have no idea who he is, but it was a great quote. The first comes this, from this guy named Moberly, R.W.L. Moberly, and he had this book called Laments. And Moberly says this, he says, The predominance of laments in the Psalms and throughout the Old Testament, at the very heart of Israel prayer, Israel's prayers, means that the problems that give rise to lament, so the things that happen in life that lead us to cry out to God, are not something marginal or unusual, but rather are central to the life of faith. So 
So he's saying that when you experience troubles and sorrows that lead you to cry out to God in a, in a lament-type way, don't be surprised. It's come. That is life. That's what is happening. And he continues. Moreover, they show that the experience of anguish, excuse me, experience of anguish and puzzlement in the life of faith is not a sign of deficient faith, something to be outgrown or put behind one, but rather is intrinsic to the very nature of faith. What he's saying is when you encounter anguish and sorrow and trouble in life, lamenting is the appropriate reaction. This is our experience. Sorrow is what is to be expected because of the fall, because the world is broken. So variable number one is sorrow. That is the first thing that we are going to encounter in this world. It's the first element. We have sorrow in this life. And that's okay. If you have sorrow, that's not a sign that you don't have faith. That's not a sign that you are specifically a bad person. It's a sign of what is supposed to happen. Now, your sorrow might might be because you are sinning a specific way, so you should repent. Godly sorrow is a great thing. It's meant to draw us towards repentance. But to say we should have no sorrow in this life because we have the Lord is a lie. It's a lie. So the first variable is sorrow. Author John Bloom, he's connected to the Desiring God group, which is through John Piper. He's an author, really nice, really nice guy, really great author, pleasant books, love them. Great, great stories that he can tell. But he says this, the Psalms are lament, the Psalms of laments are treasures for the saints. They give inspired voice to our troubled souls. They model for us how to complain to God in a way that honors him. And they are themselves expressions of God's care and compassion for us because in them we see that we are not as alone as we feel and that God indeed does understand. That's the second element. It's prayer. Prayer is our second element. And prayer is an important one. And it's a very important one when it comes to the Psalms. There's my bad writing. All right. Prayer is a very important element because if we don't recognize laments as prayers where we're calling out to God in a kind of sloppy way, we can be misinterpreted. One needs only look to the story of Job. We read Job and you see Job crying out to God in a terrible situation. And what happens to Job is three friends come to him. They hear Job's prayer and they say, whoa, Job. Your theology, it's not perfect here. We're going to fix you. So let us tell you some things about the things that you are saying wrong in your prayer, and then you'll be better because that's what guys do. And so Job's friends all come with accusations and criticisms over and over and over against a prayer that Job has, a suffering prayer, a sorrowful prayer. What they should have done instead was pray with him, was lament with him, was look to what is happening in Job's life and saying, Lord, where are you? Do you not see what this is doing to our friends? Help him. And so the second element that is of great importance is 
prayer, you have to call upon the Lord for help. And then the final element is faith. You might think that this is kind of redundant. Well, you said prayer. Why are you saying faith? Well, here's the thing. If you call upon the Lord and don't expect him to answer, you're not really praying. You're not saying, like, you're not truly calling upon the Lord in the way that David does in this psalm. David cries out. He has sorrow. That's how what verses 1 through 2 go. How long? How long? How long? He is sorrowful. And then he prays, consider and answer me. I need you because what is, of what is going to happen. But then he also displays faith. He says, Lord, you have promised great things. And you have done great things. And I trust in you and I will sing to you. And if we didn't trust him, if we didn't expect him to do amazing things, we would not have laments. We would have dirges. We would have the blues. We would have things that don't fulfill our need as we would be lamenting. So when you are going through sorrow, just remember SPF. SPF. Sorrow, prayer, and faith, lament. Take time to lament because the reality is we need it. Now, when should we lament? What should we lament? Two things. Two things you should lament. Number one, sorrows. Pretty easy to figure out that you should be mourning your sorrows. Sadly, we don't. And so I just want to encourage you, friends, mourn your sorrows. Take time to be sad and weep. You look at our culture. We are a culture of avoidance. We do everything we can to medicate, and anesthetize, and drink away our problems. That is the American ideal. Let us avoid suffering and pain and sadness at all costs. We have ibuprofen. We have alcohol. There's drugs running rampant. There is all kinds of things happening because we will not deal with our problems. And so start by just letting your sorrow direct you to the Lord. Don't cover over them and just say, I can be happy. (laughs) Like, don't do that. People can see through it. Take the time to cry. Weep. Be content to just weep. Because the reality is, I'll, I'll tell you, I am tired of funerals nowadays. I just... I can't stand most funerals because nobody takes time to cry anymore. We're all trying to skip from the sadness to just celebrating something that is, that is true when the reality is sometimes we just need to be sad together. We just need to be sad. A few months ago, my wife and I went to a, a funeral for a, a young, young girl. She was about 18, I think, honey. She, had, she was murdered. She was killed. And the funeral... Did this whole town essentially gathered together, this, this town just west of Wausau, in the middle of nowhere. They gathered together at the church, and they sang together, and they cried together, and people told stories about her, and it was terrible. But I was able to join them in their mourning, and I was able to be with one of Hannah's close friends who had lost her, her adopted sister, and just mourn this terrible occurrence, and it was healing for them as a community. 
when a tragedy strikes, it is good to mourn. And we do it when it's huge tragedies, when things like 9-11 happen and when there's mass murders. We appropriately mourn, but for some reason we refuse to mourn individually as, as, a, as a country. We, we just press it away. We don't like it. And so I, I just encourage you, mourn when there is sorrow. You need it. The Lord has given it to you, and it's a good thing. Don't push it down rightfully mourn, but at the same time, pursue the Lord. Mourn with laments. Mourn with a lament that says, at the end of it, five through six, I have trusted in your love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation, and you, I will sing to you because you deal bountifully. Lament your sorrows. And then the second thing that we should lament, sin. We need to lament sin. I cannot be any more specific with this. Sin needs to be lamented by us. Not just, we don't just need to go from repentance to joy like we do sometimes. We need to go from repentance to, Lord, I keep doing this. I, I need you more. I need you in my life. And that's where laments come in. They give us the freedom to look at our past sins and say, God, this is terrible. What shall I do? Because in that state, we can find the truth of Scripture and the truth of what it means to repent properly and to live out repentance. Just think earlier about what we were talking about with David. David wasn't just mourning what was happening. He was mourning his sin His sons were dead. He lost the son that Bathsheba was carrying, and he lost another son. His daughter was destitute. His house was broken up. He was betrayed. All of this was because of his decision, his sin. And David rightfully mourns the fact that he was the proper cause of the terrible things in his life. And he calls upon the Lord in a lamentation, not covering over his past, but seeing, Lord, in the midst of my idiocy, in the midst of my sin, you remain good. So lament your sins. Because your sin could destroy you. It could destroy your life. It could destroy so much about who you are. And rebuilding the life we destroy with sin takes time. It doesn't just happen. It takes time. Repentance is amazing, and it's a grace from God that the forgiveness of the Lord is in an instance. But rebuilding a life that has been broken with sin takes time and effort. As a note, if you're ever wondering, well, what do you mean by that kind of sorrow? Turn to 2 Corinthians 7. 7, 8 through 13 talks about godly sorrow. And how Paul was thankful for the godly sorrow of the Corinthians because it led them to repentance. Proper repentance. Full repentance. And that's what we need. We need the godly sorrow to accompany our our repentance so that we have fullness of joy. And that we can call upon the Lord truly in worship. Which takes us to our last point. Why lament? 
why should you lament? Well, just look at our equation. If you have sorrow, if you call upon the Lord, and if you trust in him, you were made to lament. Because you need to. When I was 15, I, um, I was a part of a, I'll say it, I was part of a jazz swing choir. If you've seen the show Glee in the past, that was uh, without any of the weird adult themes. That was essentially my high school life from sophomore year through senior year. Like that was, that was pretty much me, except I was like five foot flat until I was 17 years old. And it was great because we got to travel all around. I actually went to, we did a trip down to Chicago. We went to California at one point. And my junior year, or my sophomore year, we went to, we went to Cancun. We took a cruise ship down to Mexico which was amazing, except the second to last day, which was also the day of our, our um, what do you call it, the day we were competing, our competition day, I woke up that morning and we were in the midst, our cruise ship was in the midst of a storm. There's 12-foot swells hitting the boat, so huge waves crashing against the boat, moving it back and forth, and back and forth, and I woke up just completely sick, just ready to just destroy, my insides were destroyed, and I did not feel well, and I had the pleasure of having to sing and dance for a while, and the best part about it was when the boat moves like that, if you're jumping, you don't move like that, so we would do this, we had this dance move where we'd jump a little bit, and they had a camera situated, so every time we would jump, we wouldn't land in the same spot. We'd look like we were jumping over this way and jumping over that way. In reality, we were just jumping straight up and down. Like, it was bad. The ship was rocking, and it was terrible. And the big reason it was terrible was because the direction we were going was perpendicular to the way the waves were coming. The waves were hitting us on the side of the boat over and over, and it was the worst storm for where we were. We were heading back to Florida, and the waves were just hitting us on the side over and over and beating us back and forth. And if you've ever been in a boat, large or small, you know that's the worst way to take a wave. That's the way to take a wave if you want to be flipped over or tossed into the water. The better way is to turn into that wave and charge through it. You might get some air. You might hurt your tailbone a little bit if it's just a metal boat. But you won't get sick, which I did about seven times that day. It was lie. It was bad. But so all that is to say, we let sorrow hit us like those waves. And if you choose to say, I am going to go from over here to joy in a straight line, you will find that sorrow smacks you again and again and again and again. What you need to do is, like a ship, turn into the waves and take them and take the sorrow and call upon the Lord for help and get to joy when you are meant to. Don't take the shortcut. The shortcut will only lead to more suffering. And you might end you might end up way far away from the joy you thought you were going to get to. But if you press into it, if you lament properly, like Psalm 13 is calling us to, you will find that joy eventually. You will be repaired and renewed and invigorated eventually. 
and you will feel grace. And I think it's so, I, I love lament because it's important for us to feel as community because we need to lament for one another. When someone is going through sorrow, we need to lament for one another. So as you, as you leave today, just think, you know, the call of lament is a call of mission. It's a call to look into the lives of the people who are, who are around you and care about what they're going through and cry with them, weep with them, and celebrate with them when it is a, it's according to purpose. But our mission statement that we are on the move to redeem people with the gospel of Jesus Christ means that you will have to lament with people. That you will have to talk with people in their sorrow. You have to love people when they are at their worst, and that is not a bad thing. That is a grace from God. As we started, we'll finish. Inside Out, great movie. If you haven't seen it, I didn't spoil anything. There's a lot of lessons that can be learned. But it has a great purpose, and its purpose is that it helps parents. I, I remember seeing a lot of reviews talking about how adult males that have little girls specifically, but children in general, should watch Inside Out because it can help them understand the teenage years better. It has a great purpose to help parents and children understand how important sadness is to the overall health of children. And in that movie, the, the emotion Joy finds out that the main character is incomplete, that she's broken if sadness is kept from her, that she needed sadness to deal with with life as she grew up. And I just want to say, we need sadness too. But more than we need sadness, we need appropriate laments. Don't go home after listening to the sermon and take out your death cab for cutie or like, um, or your Nina Simone or some old blues albums or some old emo pop punk. Like, don't, don't think that I'm telling you to go listen to a Taylor Swift album, grab a box of tissues and cry your eyes out, Dave Bloom. That's not what I'm calling to you, YouTube brother. What I'm saying is take a lament when you are in your sorrows and give way for you both to go through your sorrows but also call upon the Lord because we need it. Join me in prayer. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word and we thank you for laments and we just thank you for all the grace you've shown us and we just pray that as we call upon you, Lord, that you would move mightily, that you would work powerfully, and that you would be glorified in our lives. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for these laments. It's in your name we pray. Amen.